This is Work the Case, a Criminal Minds legal podcast. So this one's fucking insane. Beyond imagination, you could say. We, we've got to stop saying this episode's insane because we say it the next week. Yeah, but you see, they're all fucking insane. I think this just might be good television. <laughs> I think it might just be that we genuinely like this show. um yeah so welcome to work the case i'm lee i'm hope and together we make up a pretty well qualified team of uh criminal minds watchers today we have an episode that there's no middle sliders this is zero to 100 all the way through just balls to the wall constantly every fucking scene is the most insane version of what it should be and you know what it fucking slaps we start, like, scene one of this episode is, like, two guys talking to each other in a bar. Scene five is, like, a guy running away from a triple murder. And scene 18 is rat's attempt to eat a man alive. So, like, there's no, there's no breaks. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> calm down at all. <laughs> okay, so for the housekeeping, um, we are talking about Criminal Minds, season one, episode eight. The episode is titled Natural Born Killers, which is also a title of an SVU episode because everybody is the same all the time. This is, like, it's, again, I like I don't know how to describe these episodes except for, like, whoever the fuck is in the writing room needed uh, a raise and a prescription. Yeah, like, if I wrote something with this plotline out and sent it to Lee, they'd text me back and be like, hey, what the fuck? I'd be like, hey, 911, do you take uh, reservations? Yeah. And, like, this is, for context, I've texted Lee, hey, do you think it would be legal to turn my skin into a book after I die? Um, so it's a pretty high bar. You didn't text me, hey, would it be legal to turn my skin in- my, my skin into a book when I die? You emailed a lawyer and then texted me the response from said lawyer. Like, <laughs> yeah, and her response was, that's really interesting. Let me know if you look it up. So now I'm researching that for my project for finals. So, you know? Finessed it. I can't wait to, like, leather bind your favorite fanfiction into a, a fic and then have it be your skin. And try to explain that to my dad. Oh, that's a good idea. My da- my pa- my mom did- my dad said he'd throw the book out. My mom suggested that I write the book and then bind my skin into it like my own book as, like, a special you- edition. This is also all incredibly off topic. Are you Mary Keith from Magnus Archives? I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. We can't, we can't go off on that tangent. (laughs) We can't do this. Okay. This is like a several day discussion. So yeah, continue. Back to the, back to the plot line. In Baltimore, Maryland. So the episode starts out with two guys talking at a bar. These are clearly mafia dudes. One of them gets recognized by a cop and plays it off in the worst way possible. Being like, yeah, this guy pinched me. Uh, in, in the most, like, not-mafia-hardened guy performance ever. It's very unbelievable. Luckily, his I mean, friend is an idiot and buys it. Yeah, that's kind of a... It's wild. This show is wild because all the mafia members are insane. Like, the accents <laughs> are ridiculous. Their hair is all greased back. I have notes specifically on, like, the mob boss's bodyguard, because I was like, God, I wish I could be the actor responding to, like, the ad to be this, because it's literally just a broad, bald guy with, like, a toothpick in the corner of his mouth. I'm obsessed, anyway, I'm obsessed with it. It's ridiculous. I love him. Um, so these two guys are at the bar, and then they drive 
the blonde one baker drives his friend freddie home and as he freddie's like come eat dinner with us and he says no which is a good decision because later that night as a neighbor stalked towards the home of william and helen demarco where our friendly mob guy freddie is she hears blaring music and goes to knock on the door and get them to turn that shit off when a bloody baker runs from the house and she looks in begins screaming it turns out william and helen demarco have been murdered but not just murdered like brutally fucking torture murdered at least for william yeah and also this will become relevant later baker like Baker runs past her, but the way he runs past her is he's, like, sprinting, he's looking away, he elbows her out of the way, and, like, keeps going. So she does not get a good look at his face at all. Yeah, so we'll talk about witness identification in a moment. But so, William has been tortured, Helen has had her throat slit, the team has been asked to come in from Baltimore field office that went this is fucking insane there's so much overkill please come tell us if we're dealing with a serial killer or perhaps a satan which also this will get we'll get into the legal stuff but this would not be a federal case it drives me wild but continue no okay yeah we'll get into the legal stuff let me i we gotta finish this we're not even a minute into the episode i know we've got to shut the fuck up so the team is called in to consult on the massive overkill when they discovered that all of the evidence point towards a third body having been dropped that night, but there's not any pieces of that body. So they really got to get their heads together to find out what happened to the third person. It turns out Freddie, a guy from the intro, has been brutally murdered and left in trash cans all throughout Baltimore. The team, now knowing that they have found a mafia guy dismembered and put in trash cans, pretty can like pretty accurately think to themselves we might have stumbled into an organized crime case and they have because the <laughs> fbi's organized crime unit is knocking down their door telling them to fuck off but our intrepid team of profilers does not fuck off and continue to investigate despite being asked formerly by people who have jurisdiction to go away while they're investigating in um without permission they come across i all i wrote down was russo is the name of this mafia guy because again everybody in this episode is named like italian man hitman only like uh, like the names are insane so russo the leader of the mob and also the owner of a pretty decent recycling center for aluminum and other metals tells them to fuck off and die but jason gideon has never fucked off once in his life and as much as he's trying to die he won't do it today (laughs) He continues to investigate along with his team, and they discover that they're not actually dealing with just a serial killer. They're dealing with a a serial killer who's also a hitman. This man has maybe a hundred victims, who's to say? So they've stumbled across a real fucking big hitter, because as they mention, John Wayne Gacy only has 30 bodies. This guy's a little bit busier. Just a touch. (laughs) Well... So, um, they find out that this sadist serial killer hitman mafia guy is working closely with Russo, who thinks he's got this dog on a leash, but this guy's insane and doesn't respond to basically anybody except for himself. So, while trying to convince Russo by intimidation and entrapment, they manage to get this guy out of his, uh, torture bungalow where he has kidnapped, it turns out to be undercover 
was it cop or FBI agent? FBI. He's a federal agent, so he'd be an FBI agent. Undercover FBI agent Baker. That's right. He was on a deep undercover operation within the mafia trying to get them caught for some kind of racketeering, I think. But now he's upgraded his position to torture victim. The... And I swear to God, I'm sh- not trying to be racist against Italians. The the bad guy, Vincent Parada, <laughs> is lured <laughs> out by the wacky antics of the BAU after committing several crimes and manages to beat the shit out of Hotchner in a parking lot so severely that uh, this show has given me a new ship for Gideon and Hotch. <laughs> so. I, was, I was literally going to say, this is the gayest so episode. Gay. Of criminal mind. It's it's the it's homosexual to the highest degree. It's wild. Now that they've captured uh, Parada, they have him locked up in the BAU like he is Hannibal fucking Lecter, and are trying to figure out how he's been murdering a hundred people and getting away with it. But also, where's Baker? Because we kind of need him. In the middle of their investigation, the Boner Squad in Garcia's office, and by Boner Squad I mean L. Reed and Garcia, come across a tape that was in his car that's people getting eaten by rats that's right not only is he a hitman not only is he a serial killer hitman mafia guy but he's a serial killer hitman mafia guy that uses rats as his weapon of choice so (laughs) after having left baker to die by rat he is now convinced that gideon is like not shit which most people believe on first glance so that's fine um, but Gideon manages to outprofile this motherfucker into giving them just enough information that they're able to find Baker alive and get him medical care. And they say that he's going to live. I'm doubtful. But um, after, yeah, after a lot of investigation, intimidation, calling this man a limp dick motherfucker and implying that he fucked his mom, the team manages to score a win? <laughs> I think we should start keeping a counter for every time they tell the unsub to his face that he has a limp dick. <laughs> hey, it's eight for eight, I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's real hard to find a place to begin in this episode because, again, there's so much going on. But I would like to begin with um, all of the mental illness shit that they just glide through. I have noted every single time that they mention multiple personality yeah. disorders, specifically because in the first episode they're like, that doesn't yeah. exist. And now being filled with rage and pettiness, I mark it down every single time. And they mention it like three times in this episode, like, what if yeah. he had multiple personalities? This is something that would happen if he had multiple personalities. And I'm like, bitch, you just said that like two months ago in the runtime <laughs> that it doesn't exist, but whatever, cool. It's kind of, so, so the first time it comes up, they're talking about the chaotic scene that they come across at first. So in the scene, uh, there's a elderly man, William DeMarco, who has been tied to the bed, burned, slashed, beaten, and tortured in all kinds of ways. Meanwhile, the woman of the house, Helen DeMarco, has just had her throat slashed. And while she has been eviscerated, there's no signs of torture and it looks like a very quick death. So at first they're like, is this guy like, does he have multiple personalities or like some kind of schizophrenia? Uh, Later on, they like, he might be like, uh, later on, they're looking at the rap sheet for uh, our agent Baker. And they're like, "Uh, he started with attempted murder and then went to petty crime and then went to rape. That's either the mug, that's either like the, the, the 
charge sheet of um, a schizophrenic with multiple personality disorders, or it's made up. And it's made up. <laughs> and then, like, later on, they're like, yeah. does this guy have multiple personalities? And it's like, no, he's just a freak. Um, <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> like, they they just truly glide past that. They also really don't give us a solid profile of this episode. Um, yeah, that's yeah. difficult because that's part of my job. I do, like, it's very interesting to me that... Um, they look at the scene for about 30 seconds and they go, okay, this is a white guy. That's probably smart. Um, and he's got it. Yeah. I will say Hotch does do a cold read of this dude and it ends like the last scene of this oh episode God, fucks it. like full tilt. Like they're, yeah. they're sitting there like dick in hand. <laughs> Just insane. And it's, a, it's such a trope, but like, it hits different. I'm sorry. I'm a trope bitch, you know? This guy also doesn't really have um, much of much to go off of at all. So torture is one of the things that they talk about early on in the episode. Um, they mention that there's two types of torturers in terms of, like, violent crime. This isn't true for, like, all types of torture in general. But, like, the, like when we're talking about torture as a violent crime, they say that the two types are punisher and sadist so a punisher would be someone that's either trying to extract information trying to punish a wrong or trying to like basically prove to other people like you shouldn't be doing this so this would be like someone who is torturing somebody for information you know like a mafia guy kidnaps another mafia guy and you know beats in his kneecaps and is like tell me what you know the sadist, however, is someone that just gets off on torturing somebody. They note early in the episode that they're like, but there's no sign that he had sex with any of the victims, so it can't be sadist. They, do they know what impotence is? Because they talk about it a lot. <laughs> yeah. And also, like, finding no sign of sexual assault in the bodies doesn't inherently mean he didn't get off. Like, it's such a weird disconnect. Yeah, that, like, you have no clue that he didn't masturbate in the corner. You can't yeah. tell me nothing. But beyond that, like, they call this guy a limb dick motherfucker for most of the episode, but they're sitting here like, there's no signs of sexual trauma, though. I'm sorry? To be fair, they do, expli- they do explicitly say that Gideon's just doing that to piss him off during the interrogation, though. Uh-huh, but, like, at this... Because, like, there is there is a scene where Morgan's like, why is he saying that he knows it's not true? And Hodge is like, don't worry, he's fucking got this. Yeah. I mean, it is just kind of... It, it, it's just, like, a weird thing for them to, like, be so... Like, harp on, I guess. Because at the end of the day, you know, they try to throw us that red herring that he's trying to get information from Baker because he's the mafia, but he really just likes to do it. Like, he just likes to torture people. The editing in this episode is insane. Yes, 100%. Like, there's this, like, the scene at the beginning when they're just walking into the house for the first time, there's literally eight jump cuts and I think a star flash swipe. (laughs) It's like a Star Trek movie. It was edited in PowerPoint in 2007. I will say, there is something about season one where you can tell it was made in, like, 2005. It's so 2005. With the awful quality and, like, the really shitty, like, dreamscapes where they take you and you can tell it's a green screen behind the actor. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I love it. I think it's awesome. I genuinely am like, oh, that's so cool they're doing this. (laughs) Like, it's ridiculous. It's so bad. Using rats as a weapon 
is a lot. Especially, like, if he killed them beforehand, right, and let the rats eat them, like, disposal method, or if he was staying to watch the rats eat him, or, like, I know he's videotaping it, but there's Mm -hmm. no way to ensure that this motherfucker is killed by rats. Like, it's so... Well, evidently he's living in Baltimore right by the airport, but has a soundproof basement that's escape-proof, and just every rat in the world living in his pipes. Yeah, that he just apparently doesn't feed except for the random, like, hundred-something people he kills, I guess. Yeah, there was a scene where two rats were fighting, and the guy just watches it, and I was like, this is really dramatic. I'm pretty sure that's a viral video somewhere. Like, I know we're about to let this man die by rat, but I think showing the rats, I think showing the rats wrestling is kind of mean. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, there's, again, there's just, like, a lot of concerns here that I have legally. I think this is the first episode in which the team willfully, knowingly, and out loud state that they are going to break a law and then do it. Yeah, just balls out. They're like, we can make bail. So I think we have a lot to talk about, so... Yeah. I think we can get into the legal stuff a little early. Just know that I will be interrupting because there's a lot. Yeah, don't worry. I interrupted Lee the entire first, like, five minutes of this, so it's whatever. It, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so we'll start with, like, the very first thing, which is what I mentioned first, which is, like, she doesn't get a good look at his face, but then later is, like, giving a detailed description and things like that because they come in and they're like, well... We know he was 20 to 40, he was a white guy, and she said he was hopped up on them damn drugs. <laughs> on them damn drugs. That, ver- that is verbatim the line. And Gideon goes, yeah. also, this is notoriously unreliable. Because, yeah, like, even if a witness directly sees the perpetrator, eyewitness testimony and eyewitness, like, I saw what happened in traumatic situations like this are mm-hmm. indeed notoriously unreliable. Um, people forget things, they change things. That's why photo lineups can be such an issue, because you can show someone that wasn't the perpetrator, but it looks kind of like them. And then the witness will say, that was him, and then that locks it in on their brain, and they will be convinced that is the person, even if it wasn't. Plus, um, with it being like a dark night, like, if you give her a photo lineup, she's going to think it has to be one of these people. Yes. So that's that's also a common issue with photo lineup, is that it... It makes it kind of convinces the person that you're having identify somebody from the lineup think that oh these ha- it has to be one of these guys and like I said it's so easy if one of them looks even remotely similar their brain is already looking mm-hmm. for it and they're like oh that's him and it just locks in so it's it's a, it's a notorious issue um, and every white man in Baltimore probably looks a little alike yeah so again we come in and the like Hotch is like why the fuck are we here and they're like well it's really brutal and he's like. Yeah, but why are we here? Which, again, this wouldn't... So, okay. So, at the very end, it would be a federal case because it's a federal agent being involved in a kidnapping in the course of his duties. So, that's a federal crime. And there's a hundred people dead. And I have to imagine those came from different states. Yes, they mentioned that it's across state lines. But at this point, at the very beginning, they don't know any of that. It's just a really brutal murder, which, again, is... The brutality doesn't make a difference. It's a state case first. Until they find out, again, that... There were multiple murders across state lines and the federal agent and et cetera, but they got in early. It makes a good episode. Fuck it, right? 
So from my um, understanding, like you're you're allowed to just ask the FBI to come in. Like there's nothing stopping you from doing that. And if the FBI's like, yeah, then they can. Yes. So they can come in. You can use FBI resources, so the databases, et cetera, and you can consult with the agents. But when the agents are actively working on the case, they usually mm-hmm. are only working federal cases. Um, mm-hmm. So this would be the difference between like the state calling them and consulting. Sorry, I just hiccuped. And then coming into, like, the crime scene and making arrests and actively going out in the field, right? Um, It's different than just asking their opinion than having them come in and, like, actively work the case. That's Mm -hmm. usually, and again, that's not, like, a broad rule. Like, they could come in on a state case. I don't think there'd be anything stopping them. I'm not an expert in this area of law, so do not fucking quote me. But generally speaking... If federal agents are on the ground making arrests and working the case, it is almost always a federal case. Okay. But, again, this at the very end would be a federal case, but at the beginning it's not. But for TV reasons, right, I would like to know the full story, so put them in at the very beginning. Yeah, so, again, this starts at the house of the crime scene. We've discussed this before. They do not need permission to go into the crime scene, right? It's a crime scene. Because everybody that owns it is dead. <laughs> yeah, everybody that owns it is owns it's dead they have reason to be there like they can get judges to tell them like you can be there for however long like it's not a problem i did find it was interesting that they're discussing like all the bodies and first of all they mentioned the blood splatter they're like well the blood splatter means this this and this and like you would need an expert to discuss that like the mm-hmm. throat being slashed like in the spray of blood like you could say reasonably right there was like the general idea but they are very specifically pointing out exactly what happened, which I would assume a medical examiner has looked at the bodies and experts have told them this because otherwise, like, they wouldn't automatically have the expertise. What, you don't think Agent Morgan spent six months learning how to be a blood splatter analysis on top of every other thing he's apparently an expert at? I was going to say, they did drop, like, three more jobs for Morgan in on this, so maybe he fucking is. He spent 18 months on deep undercover. When? You're 28. <laughs> and was and he mentioned he'd already been in Baltimore like giving a like speech or like training or something to agents and I was like what's anyway it's it's wild. Morgan has done everything. It's it's insane. But they also as they're discussing this they're like, "Yeah, and here's the bathtub like you can see the ring of blood, so we know that they had to wash pretty much all of their blood." Um, I'm assuming they did some kind of volume measurement, read sites off 10.6 pints for the viewer, mm-hmm. assume, because I would assume that that's useless information otherwise. Um, and Elle's like, well, he ha- they had to have dismembered the body to get rid of it to hide it from us, obviously. I'm like, that's not necessarily mm-hmm. true. Um, you don't have to cut a bod- body into seven pieces to get all the blood out of it. Like... Mm-hmm. I mean, like, it is, if you're not killing specifically by way of trying to get all the blood out, it's kind of difficult to get all of the blood out, and that seemed to be this motherfucker's goal. Oh, no, I I agree, but, like, it's not, it, if I was looking at that, that wouldn't be my immediate conclusion without considering any other possibility. <laughs> like, I'd be like, maybe they he cut his throat and hung him up by his feet and, like, just got rid of the body wholesale. Like, there are other options. Mm-hmm. Besides, obviously, he just cut this motherfucker into pieces. Like, I thought that was weird, but that'd be something on cross. Like, it's not legally super relevant. I just like pointing out the weird shit. Mm -hmm. As they are leaving the room, they call Garcia and say, hey, 
search all these open files in other states for crimes similar and go back 10 to 15 years because we this guy obviously has experience mm -hmm. they wouldn't need a warrant for this because it is open files so it's open to the public she would just be searching like public records for the crimes mm -hmm. so you wouldn't need a warrant and now this becomes relevant later if they find a specific file for a specific person that is sealed or expunged or what have you that is protected in some way they would need a warrant but just googling like the federal database mm -hmm. and coming up with hits like it's fine okay. one thing that i would point out especially if i was doing any sort of cross or if i was the defense attorney would be that she looks up any crime with torture and organized crime and i would say that is way too broad to nail to one person yeah. like they mention later that like this is the same cutting tool but they don't say it's like a knife or like the same knife if you know what i mean mm -hmm. like they're not saying they were all cut with knives or they were all cut with the same knife like it's very it's incredibly broad to be saying this guy obviously did all 150 of these murders they're like, gonna bring it down and like actually like figure out which ones he did and it's gonna be like 24 <laughs> yeah like it's just very, so yeah, again, this would be something I would fucking tear apart because the logic just isn't there. But they use it to get this giant pool of people to look at it. Um, and as they are narrowing all of this down, they, like, mention that there is an unsub sketch now. They pull it up and they, like, kind of show it to you as they're walking out to talk to the organized crime agent. And, again, this lady did not see his fucking face. She couldn't tell you if he was anywhere between 20 and 40. I would not trust that sketch to be accurate at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, it's just something that I wouldn't trust as the police, let alone as, like, the defense attorney tearing this apart, but it also doesn't affect the investigation, like, to get to the unsub specifically, so it's just... Yeah, so this is an episode that I file away into the box of, thank God it's not this guy, because this guy would sue them. Yeah, 100, like, inevitably. But yeah, so they go into that... This is when organized crime comes in, and I can't speak for, like, the etiquette of the FBI or even the legality mm -hmm. of this, but organized crime comes up. It's like a two-minute scene. They're like, hey, we found out that it's organized crime involved in the case. We found that it's a killing for— Because Freddy Condor is a mafia member. Yeah, like, he's a, he's a mafia member. We found that all of the killings you suspect are also connected to the mob. Obviously, this is organized crime. We're organized crime. We got this. And Gideon, without arguing or giving any sign that he's like, yeah, we're going to stay, is like, of course, you go ahead and take it, whatever. And then walks back and is like, yeah, we're taking, like, we're doing it anyway. Fuck it. <laughs> and it's like, if you had spent 10 seconds to say, actually, I think we should be on this and here's why, so much headache would have been saved. He wouldn't have been our lovely Gideon if he did that, because our Gideon's a loose cannon that's never done a fucking sane thing in his life. Yeah, because, like, that's what kills me, is, like, the loose cannon thing, if they hit, if organized crime said, actually, I see why you want to be on it, but fuck off, and Gideon did it anyway, but Gideon doesn't even get a no. He's just like, yeah, I'll just lie to them and do it anyway for no reason. Like, he doesn't know that organized crime will tell them to fuck off. At this point, he's doing it for the thrill. Yeah. It's weird, but again, I can't speak on the legality of it, but it is just a really, it causes issues later in the episode. Yeah, so this will be a, a, a cross-examination that's like, so why didn't you want the BAU on this? Well, this is clearly organized crime, and they probably wouldn't have the expertise to go through this. Okay, so 
these loose cannons investigated this despite you, an expert, telling them not to. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, going to the next scene, Hotch and Morgan go down to speak to Russo, which is the mob boss, to talk to him at his plant. This is also where that super cool bodyguard came in. I can just only imagine the actor call was like, are you really broad and are you bald? And will you chew on a toothpick? (laughs) Get in here. Um, He has no lines. We need an Italian-looking motherfucker. Yeah, he has no lines. It's literally the most conspicuous person. It's crazy. Anyway, not legal. But they come in to speak to him. This obviously is not an arrest or a stop or a um, search because they come in. They're talking to Russo. Russo's like, okay, fuck off. And they're like, well, here's what we think you did. And he's like, I can, I know you got to make a case, but come back with the papers and the bracelets, which is an, also an exact quote. So funny. So, the, yeah, the fact that he tells them to fuck off and then walks away and they let him, obviously not an arrest, so yeah. they wouldn't have needed to read him his rights. So anything if he had said would have been admissible, but he doesn't say anything. But, like, I run this business and nothing they don't know. Yeah, they go, your business, and he's like, you mean recycling? And they're like, the mafia. And he's like, don't know nothing about that. Yeah. I don't know. The mafia? What's the mafia? Um, So, yeah. So the next issue is they are going through the victim's credit records to find, like, any connections, anything he was doing. And they would have access to this because, again, they have a reason to search it. They could easily get a warrant. This is the victim of the crime. We think that he was connected to something financially they would have a warrant to Uh search it no issue as they are going through all of these they are also searching like his criminal records and the criminal records of his associates again these are presumably public records right you can search someone's criminal records and it's not like protected information so again that would be fine they do so this is where it starts getting wild They go to search the undercover cop's apartment because as they search these criminal records, they find that weird criminal record that Lee mentioned earlier. And they're like, this is wild. This doesn't make sense. And then they pull up his picture and it matches the the really sus sketch. Like, perfectly, right? They do not have a warrant. I can't state this enough. When When they roll up on this motherfucker's apartment, they kick the door down don't identify themselves, do not say that they have a warrant, and have guns drawn. And it's just Hotch and Morgan. You're right, like, the actual setup (laughs) would probably mean that they don't have a warrant, but realistically, they would probably be able to get one, because they could say, this man is connected, here's the exact steps we found, and he matches our suspect description, we need to go search his place. And they would probably get a warrant, but... Realist and also, so there are things called no-knock warrants, which are del- which are given in situations where you say, well, I think someone might be armed, and so warning them that the cops are coming could result in unnecessary violence and officer death and et cetera. Which means that with this, it has to be a special warrant. It has to be mm-hmm. specifically noted in the warrant, but they can, in certain situations, just break down your door, guns drawn, and go in. But if that was the case, wouldn't there be the SWAT team doing that not two guys in windbreakers exactly so they would be at the very least they would have protective vests on like it just doesn't make sense so if they didn't have a warrant they probably couldn't use this is really sus too because like if they just gotten goddamn cooperation with the organized crime unit like (laughs) it wouldn't matter but so We'll talk about what they get. So they go in. They notice it's obviously a crash pad. Morgan, from his expertise as an undercover agent, mentions this. 
they start looking through like the walls. Morgan notices something and punches a hole in it and finds like an active weapon. So doing property which, damage. Yeah, property damage, but they would be allowed to do that in the warrant if they were um, given like, again, warrants have to be specific. So like they can say you can search this whole apartment, which would give them permission to go through the wall. But they can also say, go through this room, go through this cabinet. So it would depend on what the warrant said. But theoretically, if they had one, it could include going through the wall. Again, this is in the in the great universe where everything works out and they actually do have a warrant. I cannot imagine these motherfuckers do. Because, again, they just kick a door down. Yes, and again, <laughs> I was getting to this. So the only thing they find is that gun. And I don't think that would come into the criminal trial. Like, they don't find anything super useful. Uh-huh. Except for the fact that they, like, this is what they use to put together that it's a crash pad, which they could exclude that, right? They could say, well, you can't bring anything from the apartment. You can't bring in any of that. But that would be the only thing excluded. They wouldn't have the court, again, this depends on the court and a bunch of other factors. Um, Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, if you do one illegal act, but it's, like, a step removed, so, okay, I illegally searched this place and found marijuana, but, or, like, found records that noted where marijuana was and went and found the marijuana in a different place but got a warrant to search for the weed, you have to exclude the record, but you can include the weed because the weed was found with a warrant. But it's it's wild. Essentially, as long as it's, like, one step removed, as this would be, right, they found the mm-hmm. agent through other means, this just, like, helped them find him, uh-huh. it wouldn't be excluded. It's just really weird. It's wild. Luckily... Mr. Baker hasn't done anything wrong because he's not a criminal. He's actually a special agent. So this won't probably need to come up on the court case at all because very quickly organized crime is like, hey, this is our guy. He's missing. So they can claim like, oh, we didn't. We that's how we found out. Yes. And that's what I meant. I know that was super unclear when I was just talking about it. So if Mm -hmm. you have if you do something illegally, but then get a legal way to find it, that's Mm -hmm. another exception. So. The easiest way to describe that is there is an actual case where cops illegally went into a warehouse and saw that there was like a shit ton of weed because it was um, it was organized crime. Left, didn't make any arrests, didn't record anything, used other information to get a warrant of the same place now that they knew there was weed and then raided it and used all of that. And the court said, well, you got a warrant the second time and the warrant was valid, so the first search doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. This would probably be similar, right? Because you searched and it was awkward, but then you go back to the FBI and they're like, yeah, that's our boy. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, just a really roundabout way to say that this search like, probably would be sus, but there's a few ways it would be fine and overall it wouldn't really matter. I also want to mm-hmm. note, I've been meaning to note this for a few episodes now. I do, I favor the defense because I work as a defense attorney, as a defense intern, not as an attorney yet. But... Mm-hmm. If I'm giving evaluations that seem more favorable to the prosecution or towards the officers than you would think, it's because when I'm making the discussions in the podcast, I'm giving, like, my gut instinct, here's what I think is generally what would happen. I'm not, like, picking a side and arguing from that side. If I was arguing, like, from the prosecution, I would be saying, well, this, this, and this was true and not, and, like, twisting the facts and not acknowledging certain ones. But I don't really want to make a defense or prosecution argument. I'm just kind of giving, like, my vibes. Um, If anyone was wondering why this seems to be, like, more loosey-goosey instead of me, like, picking a side and arguing for a case. 
Also, to be fair, the foundational premise of this podcast is, is any of this admissible? Yeah. So that's really going to sway towards the the defense. Oh, it's inherently going to sway towards the prosecution. It's wild. Like, real life is wild. Well, I mean, well, no, I mean, like, it's going to, like, uh, the question that we ask of, is this admissible, is going to sway towards prosecution, but the answers we give are going to probably sway towards defense. Yeah. So, um... Now that, okay, so we've gotten an apartment that was maybe illegally searched. We found a gun that doesn't matter. Luckily, this guy's an FBI agent, so he's probably not going to sue the BAU for breaking into his house and then tearing a wall up. Yeah, not even his house. Yeah. They then have a whole scene where organized crime guy, like, busts into the office and is like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> because this guy does not meet, like, they, basically the, so, tobacco. The undercover agent calls in and says, hey, I got made. I need to be removed. Undercover goes to pick him up later that night because they tell him to wait 24 hours. The undercover agent doesn't make the meetup, so they understand he's probably been kidnapped or killed. Mm -hmm. uh, Organized crime then comes back, finds that the BAU has been doing all of this bullshit and probably and possibly exposed their agent and comes in and is like, you told me you weren't doing this shit. I told you not to do this shit, and now you've just ruined, like, not only our case against the mafia because you've exposed the fact that we were investigating them by going down there and waving your dicks around at the recycle yard, <laughs> but now you've also endangered the life of my agent. And also this, the head guy also just has, like, a family picture of the agent in his pocket that he, like, whips out, which was yeah. weird. <laughs> He's actually the guy's secret husband. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he just, like, knew that he needed the emotional impact on these fucking idiots, but, like, whatever. He knows the BAU secret, which is we can't fucking help ourselves when there's a kid involved. Yeah, like, it's ridiculous. So, like, basically they go in, they work it out. They're like, okay, we will work together to save your boy. We also care about him. We're on the same side. Sure. Um, Where was that cooperation, like, 30 minutes ago in the episode? But Mm -hmm. fuck it. Um, Regardless. Yeah. So now they are discussing not just mob hits, but, like, hitman issues and so they start discussing like the difference between a hitman and a serial killer which mm-hmm. is such a fun like they try and be like well serial killer you're doing it for enjoyment and a hitman you're getting paid i'm like mm, i don't know if that's the strict definition like yeah i'm just imagining a hitman clocking in yeah like first of all this would be a line that's super blurred because if you're doing it for pay like you don't have to kill people for money so you probably enjoy it to some extent and then your body count, once it reaches a certain point, you're automatically a serial... I just have a lot of opinions on this. I just like the implication of a serial killer just being a fucking idiot, because it's, like, stupid. Don't you know you could get paid for this? Yeah. And also, like, so... I don't know. I completely just lost my train of thought, but whatever. Oh, yeah, okay. no, it reminds me of, like, LDSK, where they are discussing, like, the difference between a sniper and, like, a serial killer that is a sniper, or a bomber and a serial killer who uses bombs like there's no real difference it's just to give an excuse for the BAU to be there no it's just this show's favorite thing yeah so okay so moving on they then go to speak to Russo a second time at like an Italian mob restaurant (laughs) it's like a bar slash like Italian restaurant with a pool table again this is a place where you walk in and everything is either way too expensive or way too cheap and like a six foot tall 300 pound man like drops of the best plate of spaghetti you've had in your entire life and they only take cash (laughs) the floor is sticky but the food is good i would eat at this restaurant is my point but they come in to talk to him this is the same thing as the junkyard 
um, like junkyard discussion. It's not an arrest. He obviously feels fine telling them to get uh -huh. out. They are on his property, right, et cetera, et cetera. But they're basically doing this to scare him into running off and calling the actual yeah. unsub, right? So they're like, listen, this, like, we know this is your boy. We know why you had him kill this guy, but he's killing for fun now. And here's like 200 people that he's killed that you don't even mm -hmm. know about. He's going to get caught and he's going to get you caught. And then they leave. After after Derek is like like holding this man by the, the shoulder and like straightening his tie and like brushing off his jacket yeah. and goes, they're going to they're gonna hate you because you'll work with me. And this guy is paranoid as fuck. So he's going to kill you unless you get him first. Yeah, it's just wild. So like, yeah. Then Russo immediately goes and calls, like, Vincent and is, like, explaining. He calls him Vinny, which I think is fucking hilarious. But So fucking funny. He goes and makes this call, and they don't have the house bugged. They have some way of listening in that they explain, but I didn't listen to because I don't give a shit. They basically bug the house. Yeah, it's a, lace, it's a listening device. It's not bugging the house because you actually don't have to step on property, but basically it's a device that can uh, hear vibrations through glass by, like, light waves and stuff like that. It's really complicated. Elle doesn't know what it is, which I find preposterous because she worked for like the police like she would know what this is yeah again it's the same thing as her not knowing what the shift change in cops means like yeah she would know this Elle is just like the stupid woman that they get to explain things to for an audience surrogate apparently yeah they hear him talking but it's not a bug and technically i think they could get a warrant for that so that's legal i was gonna say if they if they didn't already have one, because we understand they've been watching this guy mm -hmm. for a while, and we understand that he had, they have undercover agents looking for him, so I wouldn't be shocked if they, like, already were listening into his calls, and this is just, like, a new reason to do it. So they wouldn't need, like, a new yeah. warrant. They would, if they were doing this, like, just out of nowhere, they would need a warrant. So, again, for a warrant, you need to either be imposing on their property physically or imposing on their expectation of privacy. And speaking within your home, right, you don't expect those conversations to be public or for other people to hear them um, or for your phone calls to be heard or to be public or et cetera. So to do this, um, you would definitely need a warrant. But again, I don't see them not having one in this instance. Yeah, probably. That being said, they then go and find Vinny's records are deleted slash expunged, which then reads like well as long as she's a shadow she could recreate it and break like nine federal laws and i was like fuck it do it no l literally says we could make bail yeah which again can't use any of it yeah like so again this is an episode where we're like well thank god he assaults hotchner because otherwise yeah. we're not getting an arrest and like thank god our victim lives and can identify him honestly you might be able to argue so there so he calls him he says Vinny. he tells the location they look up Vinny. they find his background but they wouldn't even necessarily need his background like just knowing well because i search all the vincents he knows and uses the background to reason that this is this vincent so i think that would actually be pretty crucial to explaining your thought process but once they understand, like, yeah. one of the Vincents we want to search is here, they get a warrant to go search where he is. Beats the shit out of Hotch. Fucking almost narc, like, almost fucking mercs Hotch. <laughs> yeah. Which, Morgan immediately is like, I can shoot him in the fucking head, Hotch. What do you think? And Gideon's <laughs> like, don't do it. And so, I would like to take a moment to discuss police brutality. <laughs> and this would actually probably be ruled okay in a court of law, lawful but awful. Mm -hmm. Because in situations of danger or life or like life threatening situations, 
the cop is usually given an incredible amount of like leeway mm-hmm. um there's just a lot of like it's a really tense situation the cops have, are in the best shoes they have the best training they can therefore this is the court's reasoning not mine make the best decision and if that means using a certain level of force that maybe after the fact looks too like too like was too much force mm-hmm. that's not something that we can reasonably like rule upon as a criminal matter also jurors are much more likely to listen to somebody who looks like Derek Morgan going like yeah he was crushing my colleague's hyoid bone hyoid yeah, exactly. bone so i had to kill him with a gun yeah this even, by the way, goes to the extent that... E- so Gideon tells Morgan, don't shoot him, we need him alive, and then they tase the suspect. But Twice. even if Gideon said that and then Morgan still shot him in the head and killed him, it still wouldn't be excessive force. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we're actually getting into where, like, I know case law. I never remember case names, so feel free to, like, hit us up on Twitter if you want to know more. But <laughs> there's actually a Supreme Court case where... A police officer had, like, basically put, like, nails on the road to stop someone speeding a car. Got up on top of the bridge, said, I can snipe him and shoot out the engine, which, by the way, you can't do. That's only in the movies. His boss said, don't do that. We already have it where he'll blow out his tires. Like, don't shoot. And the man shot anyway and didn't shoot anywhere into the engine, but shot five bullets through the windshield of the car, Mm -hmm. killing killing the suspect and crashing the car. And the court said, actually, that's fine because he was still making... A reasonable judgment that we have to give credence to because the car could have crashed or something couldn't have not worked and somebody could have died mm-hmm. so again not super relevant because morgan doesn't even shoot but just to be clear like this isn't something that's like sus in the mm-hmm. court's eyes can you tase a guy twice is that police brutality i mean i would say maybe because like he goes down and then they hit it twice but if they thought he was getting back up like it's really shady, but mm-hmm. it's something that, like, they could go ahead and do. Well, this guy's going to get tried, so that means he gets to try at the at the countersuit. Yes. Um, so, which is our favorite thing to talk about. Yes. So they arrest and they search the area. Again, they would have a warrant because they arrest him and they have all the background, right? To arrest him, they'd need the warrant, and to even go in, they would need the warrant. So they would have the warrant to search wherever he is. So they search his car and the surrounding area. In the car, they find a jacket that has Baker's blood on it. And they also find, like, several of his personal effects, which are then taken in as evidence. Yes. And as they, again, warrants, if it says you can search anything inside the van, that means that they can pull out, say, videotapes and watch what's on the tapes. Okay. Yeah. So they go in and they have him in interrogation. And they're explaining why they're chaining him up like he's fucking Hannibal Lecter. And they basically say, well... He has antisocial personality disorder. That means trying to buddy Which buddy. Which is real. Not real, I was about to say. Fake diagnosis. But also that means he's not going to trust anybody, so we might as well not get buddy buddy with him. We might as well make him not trust us. Again, mm-hmm. ASPD isn't real, and that's not even what ASPD necessarily means. Um, mm-hmm. But sure, whatever. Um they also give this guy, like, eight diagnoses, one of which is a- which APD, which, as we've dis- described twice in a row at this point is not real and they also say that he has paranoid personality disorder which i don't think is real i think it can be but also the fact that like he has paranoid personality disorder he hides from the cops and it's like yeah he's a serial killer i don't think that's paranoid he even says that at one point he's like hey is it paranoia if it's true like 
I agree. I was wrong. It does. It is a real thing. It's also known as eccentric personality disorder. It. But he, you're right. He is not real. It's in. A, it's in cluster A, by the way. Cluster A gang, rise up. We're looking at WebMD, which is our favorite way to do research on the fly. <laughs> the only issues that I see in diagnosing him with uh, PPD is, again, number one, none of these people are licensed psychiatrists or psychologists. If anything, they have, like, a master's or even, may, like, in Reed's case, a PhD, but most of them only have, like, at most a master's degree in like criminal psychology or forensic psychology or psychology in general they they're not qualified to diagnose anybody with anything much less a criminal suspect in which they would already have a biased view of yeah secondly paranoid personality disorder is something that you really shouldn't be diagnosing somebody who's like actively running from the law because this is a mostly deals with how relationships are formed so like if you are paranoid of the cops and you're a serial killer, that's normal. If you're paranoid of your girlfriend, that that's that's getting into the territory of like that might be a mental health issue. Yeah, like again, like this unsub says, it's not paranoia if it's like actively like there's a good reason for it. Yeah. So like, but yeah. So they come. Gideon comes in. Hotch has a little tender moment where he's like, Gideon, be careful. I'll take your pin so he doesn't have a weapon. Like, it's very again. This is very sweet. And uh, Gideon is, like, clutching this man's face and being like, go home. He hurt you. Also, unrelated, as as Hotch is, like, on the ground and they, like, are stepping over the end, Gideon comes down and is, like, soothing him and is like, take off your tie for the first time in your life. <laughs> gently taking off his tie. Yeah, and is, like, gently loosening it while Hotch, like, pants and exhaustion. And it's like, Jesus Christ. But anyway. I, I literally wrote in my notes, my, my Gideon Hotch ship has sailed. Yeah. So, anyway, so they come through, and Gideon is sitting there, and he's like, did they read you your rights? Which, first off, hell yeah, Miranda rights mention. Second, he goes, the unsub goes, I know them. And he goes, what, did you read them? And he goes, I know them. And, like, basically repeats this a few times. So. Yeah, but here's my thing. If you, he's asking, did they read them? He doesn't, he doesn't answer. And when he, he asks again, he's like, I know my rights. Which is not a yes, and Gideon, by all accounts, should read him his rights at the beginning of this, just for in case. Yes, just to be thorough. Because every other person hates this motherfucker. Also, the fact that they didn't take him to a hospital to remove the taser barbs is unrealistic. Generally speaking, (laughs) the cops have to have a reasonable idea that you have waived, right? Like, they have to have a reason to believe that you waived your rights. And so saying, I know Mm -hmm. them, usually doesn't, like, isn't up to snuff. Um, as Lee says, that usually means that you have to read them mm-hmm. again just so you know damn sure. Because, of course, people say, I know it, and then don't necessarily know. Yeah. And even if they do know, they can claim they didn't. Yeah. So read them. Yeah. But, again, presumably there's maybe a recording somewhere of someone reading this dude his rights. It's it's really weird. But we'll continue on assuming that they did because, in context, I feel like watching this episode, I got the feeling that, like, he was read them. Um, that's more of a gut check than okay. anything with actual evidence. Um, but mm-hmm. this is my podcast. I can do what I want. So yes. it's our pa- podcast, but I can still do what I want. <laughs> um, so also during this interrogation, so I had genuine sympathy for this fucking organized crime FBI guy. Until he came in to be a little pr- – I my first note on this man is pr- pr- police brutality-ass bitch – Comes in, because he's literally, because again, I had had genuine sympathy for this man. 
And then as they're interrogating, he's like, turn the camera off and I'll get him to confess immediately. First of all, no, you won't. Second of all, stop being so glum, like, so, like, gung-ho to do a police brutality. Yeah, the fact that you were so ready to do it means that you definitely did it before. It would be very obvious because if you turn the camera off and get a off-camera confession and then turn it back on... And the guys now have a black eye. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, and also the phys- any physical marks or you like, it would not fucking work, but whatever. He says that, Hot says no, it wouldn't work because this man was abused heavily as a child. He can take the pain, don't do it. However, as Gideon is, like, actually making headway with this guy, organized crime, police brutality-ass bitch comes into the room is physically getting in this guy's face, shaking him, and yelling, I will personally execute you. And, like, has to be physically dragged out by two other people. This would be a very easy, after this, to show force or coercion. So, again, usually coercion has to be something physical, but if it's a dramatic enough verbal thing or verbal situation, such as an agent coming in and yelling that I will murder you, you can argue that there was some level of coercion. Yeah. That's usually to waive your rights. He had already waived them previously. Mm-hmm. So it would you would be arguing, like, well, maybe he didn't feel like he could invoke his rights after this. That is why he didn't waive, right? But everything mm-hmm. before this would be admissible. Everything after, it would be a big court battle. Um, but again, this would, this is just a sign of a police being an idiot, of a cop being an idiot, and busting in and possibly fucking up the case. They then cut to Ellen Reed taking out the little tapes. Garcia is like, I bet there's co-eds and like a plumber or something. And Reed doesn't get it. Reed's like, what? Reed doesn't know what porn is, is a note in my... As if Reed doesn't fuck like a stallion. As if, yeah. (laughs) But like they put it in and it's all the rat stuff. Fun fact, I have this in my notes. All the attorneys actually have to watch that shit. Any evidence, so Uh pictures, videos, or whatever, um, attorneys have to watch it and take really detailed notes. Mm -hmm. um, Because obviously this comes up in the case, so you have to know what it's in. Side note, this is especially shitty in, say, child abuse and child pornography cases. Literally, we had a child case come through, and, like, the office was usually super fun, and everybody closed their doors and, like, didn't talk to anyone for the rest of the day. Because mm-hmm. even for defense attorneys, like, nobody wants to fucking see or do this. So you would have to watch, like, 100 hours of people being eaten by rats. And not just watch it. Take detail. Like, I have taken a 10-minute video and taken two hours to take all the notes because we have to make verbal transcripts. We have to make second-by-second, second, like, detailed notes on what exactly is happening for anyone else coming in after us. Mm-hmm. So not just watching it, not just taking notes, but, like, multiple times pausing every two seconds to write down what's happening, so on and so forth. So, mm-hmm. And both sides have to do that, so prosecution and defense. And again, it's so we know what we're actually litigating for the evidence. Ellen and uh, Derek are going through the evidence that they found from the car. They find a pizza box, and they have this weird-ass exchange where they're like, well, where do you order your pizza from? From my neighborhood. So they figure out like the general neighborhood that this guy's going to live in by the fact that he ordered pizza locally. Thank God this guy doesn't like Domino's. I was going to say, and not just, like, from all the tra- like the food trash in his car generally, just the pizza. They also, yeah. side note, so all of the cops coming in, like Hotch coming in after being beaten by the unsub, the organized crime guy having that relationship with the captured agent, all of that's coming up on Cross, of course, to discredit what they're doing mm-hmm. because obviously this is affecting their emotions and their actions, which means the investigation probably wasn't very good. 
Yeah, no, my cross-examination is, so all of your evidence comes from pizza, three angry fathers, and an illegal search of an apartment. To the point where he's busting in and threatening murder, and again, so, like, it would be a very easy case that this was all botched. But then Garcia starts looking for a paper trail. They mention during the videos, the rat videos, that there are airplanes, but there's no proof that it's airplanes. They're just like, I don't know what that is. Oh, shit, that's airplanes. But, like, no real proof, but they Mm -hmm. use it later. Okay, the local pizza restaurant is near an airport. They find out through, like, co- the course of talking, like, his parents are abusive, so he hates his dad. So they start, instead of looking at him, because they mention he lives off the grid, they can't find any records in his name. Yeah. Uh, I'm imagining doing those searches for, like, properties would be legal once they had a warrant after they've made an arrest of him. So Because with the food and the airplane stuff, the airplane stuff is sus, but just narrowing it down to the food, I think, would give enough of a reason. Mm-hmm. Garcia then starts going through property ownership because um, the unsub says his name was Frank. He was a bastard. So they, again, the unsub had no actual records in his name. But they said, well, now we know his dad's name and find out he was living in his dad's house and presumably playing through, like, his dad's credit cards, mm-hmm. um, which is why he had no trail, but the dad did. Again, they have enough of a warrant to go and search where they find the agent because they locate it through this dad's name, which was public information, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the dad's name was after the threat was made by the undercover, or not the undercover, the organized crime officer. So, like, mm-hmm. the defense obviously would be arguing, blah, blah, blah. Um, he couldn't revoke, so could he really give permission to say it, whatever. But it would probably come in, as well as the fact that, again, People are not hidden, so they would then bring that agent in. They say he's going to live. We'll believe her. Um, and he will nail this guy to the fucking wall. I don't think she's qualified to make that decision. I don't either. He's unconscious and bleeding, but, like, sure, maybe he lives. He's also been bitten by 8 million rats. Yeah, it's also, so the timing of this is really wild because Hotch is in there, gets the guy's name, gets the dad's name. Calls Garcia. Garcia finds all of this. They send agents out. Agents get a warrant. They then go to the house. They then find the agent. And then Hotch, at the very end, is leaving the interrogation. And I'm like, what's the timing on this interrogation? Mm-hmm. Like, this was very, very long. or very, Like, it was weird. Yeah, the travel time between, like, Baltimore and Virginia must be nothing at all. <laughs> yeah, like, it's, it's ridiculous. And then also, Hotch has his hidden backstory moment where, like, because he's telling the um unsub like this is what you did and this is why you hate your family and this is why you didn't like you loved your mom because part of the reason they also get him to break is they say well we know you killed the woman and that's what's rattled you because you've never killed a woman before Mm -hmm. again super broad range of cases that he probably didn't commit all of but whatever here's Mm -hmm. why and so he can like says you know like basically cold reads the unsub and the unsub says yes and as hodge is leaving he Mm -hmm. says you know Really, it's not a shock that some people go on to become murderers. And as he's leaving, the unsub goes, some people, and Hotch goes, and some of them catch them and walk out. And it is such a big dick energy moment. It is unspeakable. Which is so funny. Like, because earlier in the episode, the unsub's like, whose dad doesn't hit them? And Hotch goes, or, like, ev- like doesn't everybody's dad hit them? And Hotch goes, no. Which makes you think, like, oh, he had a good dad. No, he didn't. Yeah, he just has, like, emotional awareness. Like, it's slap. The second rewatch of this episode hits different. It slaps so hard. I do. Yeah, no, I love uh, I love early season Hotch because he's just he's just unhinged, but like still a good dad. Yes. Yeah. So um, at the end of the day, we have a case which is 
the worst thing that's ever come across a prosecutor or a defense attorney's desk in their entire life. The thought of the pretrial motions on this bitch makes my tummy hurt. They're like they're throwing out evidence left, right, and center. Yeah, and then they still because the agent gets to come in and the agent sees him and like knows his background because the agent has also been undercover in the mafia. It doesn't mm-hmm. fucking matter anyway. Plead it out, please. Vinny, take this plea. At the end of the day, we're hoping for a plea deal on God um, so that we don't have to watch 8,000 videos of rats eating people. (laughs) Yeah, God, please. We'd have to watch it anyway. Ugh. Yeah, no, you're still, you're, I guess you just have to watch the rat videos. And hey, I can't advocate enough for a fire in the evidence locker. (laughs) It would depend, so a lot of the times the cops slow down the evidence, so it takes a few months for the defense to actually get the physical evidence or, like, any of the videos. So Mm -hmm. depending on how quickly he pleads, maybe, maybe not, but, like, chances are some poor fucking law student intern is watching these and taking notes and then giving the notes to the attorneys who don't watch the videos because they don't want to. And, sure. Well, like, we're hoping that at the end of the day the judge is like, well, you can't talk about all the other people that he rat murdered because you can't prove that. And also, you broke 8,000 laws getting the information. So we're not letting you do that. And then, like, think, like uh, some little attorney that was about to go watch 8,000 hours of rat videos was like, thank God. Exactly. But at the end of the day, um, what we're hope we're, we, we pray to whatever God we believe in that there's going to be a pillie deal and this doesn't go to trial. Yeah, because this is death penalty case for sure, and he has future dangerousness out the fucking ass, so he's getting sentenced to death. So, uh-huh. fuck it. Okay, so, um, real quick, going through the IMDb trivia page, I hate most of these, but I do think it's funny that those fucking palm trees got us again, because despite the <laughs> fact that this crime was taking place in Baltimore, Maryland, and the establishing shot the morning after a crime, you can see a palm tree. <laughs> fucking <God>. got him. <laughs> Get their fucking ass. Get their fucking ass, IMDb. Seven out of nine found this interesting. But yeah, so uh, that's really the only one that I want to mention. The rest are stupid. Um, that's it. We've been running this pretty long anyway. Yeah, so pretty longer episode. But um, I mean, hey, if any episode's going to be long, I think it's the one where a serial killer uses rats to kill people. I was going to say, you know, if you're going to have a long episode, let it be the rat one and the one where I talk about turning my skin into a book after I die. Fair enough. So next week is another really good heavy hitter episode. Um, It is Derailed, which is a paranoid schizophrenic takes other passengers on a train hostage, including L. Greenway. We've got um, a train episode. We love a train love a episode. Train. We love a train we episode. Love we love an episode that's weirdly focused on both L and Reed. We love all of it. <laughs> okay, so uh, next week we will cover Derailed. Uh, we are going to be releasing our end of year schedule pretty soon. We just have to work out some last minute details. But uh, just so you'll know, that SVU episode is looking down the barrel at Hope. <laughs> it is, and... It's such a dark and awful barrel. That didn't make any sense, but I'm not happy with it, you know? And we'll have a guest in that episode, which will be very fun. So, um, until next week, this has been Work the Case. I'll see y'all next week. Thanks for listening to Work the Case. If you liked today's episode, please consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes. It really does help get our podcast out to more listeners. 
And if you want updates on when the next episode will drop and other tweets about the show, follow us on Twitter at WorkTheCasePod.